0: You're listening to the most, the single most inconsistent podcast (coughs) ever, The Angry Podcast or Confessions of an Angry Metalhead. And I'm very tired and I just farted. And I want to know that of all my bodily functions, I'm very tired because I was having sex with your mom for the last several weeks. Every day, two in the fucking morning, man, I wake up to her sucking my cock and even I need a break once in a blue moon man but your mom is insatiable and your mom's got great big titties with some nice nipples and then your mom brought me her girlfriend to have a threesome with and she's riding me while your mom's sitting on my face it was fucking amazing so I was in a Zach Wilde I've been on a Zach Wilde kick since last week I believe And it's kind of fitting because now's the time to do my, uh, next to discuss my next concert experience post motorhead. Um, and this was a few weeks after motorhead and that's available here on Spotify. Um, and that show was fucking amazing beyond words, but this time was going to be drastically different. Um, this was black label society. I don't remember if I was invited either before or after my band fired me, but Idris, Chad, and I were going to see Black Label Society at Starland with Chad's friend, who apparently met the band before at the now-defunct Slip Disc Records in Long Island and was hoping on this night to present Zach Wilde himself with a guitar he had built just for him. Chad, Idris, and I had seen Black Label months earlier on OzFest, and I'll leave a link to the article in the description. But this was going to be the first time either of us were going to see the band or Zach as a headliner in their own show as opposed to a festival setting. Now for some context. Not even a month earlier, Zach released Black Label's seventh record, Mafia, on Tuesday, March 8th, 2005. Why do I remember this? Because I drove out to Best Buy in a fucking snowstorm after class ended that day just to buy it. There was nobody in the parking lot, I don't think. There was a shit ton of anticipation leading up to the release of Mafia. It was it was going to be the first the band's first release on Danny Goldberg's Artemis Records, which was later purchased by E1 Entertainment. <laughs> Some run, guys. Uh, Danny Goldberg, by the way, uh, was the publicist for Led Zeppelin, and Zach really wanted to work with this guy. And this is after six albums on Spitfire Records. The lead-off single, Suicide Messiah, was gaining airplay pretty quickly. But there's one crucial aspect to Mafia's release, and this is key. It was released four months to the day after Dimebag Daryl was murdered on stage during a Damage Plant show. And for those of you who somehow don't understand Still, the significance of that event by now, Dime and Zach were best friends since they met in 1994 during the Monsters of Rock Festival in Castle Donington, which you younger fuckers would now know to be the download festival. Dime played with Pantera and Zach played with his Southern rock wannabe band, Pride and Glory, on that show. The track, In This River, while not written about Dime since Mafia was recorded well before he was even murdered, let alone before the album's release, would subsequently morph into Zach's tribute to him. More on that later. So let's discuss what happened that night, huh? As I had mentioned in my Motorhead podcast, my ex-band had fired me a good two weeks or so before that show in particular. Funny thing was we managed to stay friends afterward, proving that it can be done. Uh, Chad's friend, whose name I think was Mike also, picked me up at his Jeep with Mafia just blasting through the speakers. He was a diehard Zach fan, this guy. In the Jeep was Idris, myself, Chad, and Mike's girlfriend who looked like she was way too pretty for him. Her hair was long and dark and flowing and the type of hair any red blooded straight male would have way too much fun fucking pulling from behind. We had a bunch of, you know, musical conversations, a lot of them being centered around Mafia, which I had quickly decided was the best album black label had released to date. The songs were far more consistent. And even the fucking guitar tunings were more consistent for once. Instead of two songs with one tuning, one song with another tuning, two songs with this tuning, one song with a drop B, one song with a drop A. Everything was in just two tunings. Everything was either tuned down one whole step to D or drop C. That's it, including Suicide Messiah. That was drop C. What I had also really liked about Mafia was the fact that Zach had continued the retro sound he had started with Hangover Music Volume 6 just a year earlier, which which consisted of the inclusion of 70s-era synthesizers peppered throughout the record, along with the fact that by this point, Zach was probably the only artist I knew of who was still relying on two-inch tape to record his albums. By the time of Mafia's release, the last factory that was producing two-inch tape had ceased production, and you therefore had to special order it if you really wanted to record in the old-school way. Chad appeared to be the one guy that was not too interested in this album, and it wasn't because he wasn't a Zach fan. Far from. But rather because two weeks earlier, I think, he had seen Steve Vi at Starland. And this might have been Chad's first Starland trip for all I know. And it apparently was a hell of a religious experience of sorts for Chad. So for a short time, literally nothing else mattered and no one else impressed Chad because he had just seen God. He worshipped Vi the same way I worshipped Zach fucking Wild. So I understood. In fact, I even tried to convince Chad that uh, Zach did more than the same kind of solo because I uh, I wanted to hear a track off the record called You Must Be Blind. It's one of my favorite songs off Mafia and Walmart has one of my favorite solos. And this is while we were driving to the show because it had uh, it had begun to play on Mike's radio. It had a good diminished, dissonant sounding nature to it. Um And some of the harmonizing overdubs he did were just fucking perfect. And he did something to it to make it sound a little different. I'm not sure what it was. But nonetheless, I asked Chad, hey, what would you think? And he goes, I didn't pay attention. All right, fine. Hey, I tried. I don't know if this is the case when I went to see Motorhead, since I'd gotten in the building with Dave Lowe before the crowds began to show up. But upon arriving through the front of the building this time, security was very heavy and intense. Everyone was being searched, not just in the corridor before the main room, but even at the entrance. I could assume either Zach demanded that take place or every venue in the country began doing it began doing it or both and all for the same obvious reason. Either way, um, this was the night I decided it would be better to never wear my chains to a show again, because I did not want to deal with that kind of hassle. I don't have time for that shit. Okay. It's kind of like why I no longer wear rock t-shirts to concerts. (sighs) Because I'll feel like getting annoyed by that, 50-year-old gatekeeper who still lives with his 80-year-old mother telling me to play five songs of this, to name five songs of a band that are not the obvious hits or the obvious songs. I, I No, thank you. I'm not in high school. Okay, go fuck your mother and die. We'd missed the opening act, which was Nick Bocott playing Pantera rips along with a drum machine. Ooh! whoop fucking do Some of you only know Nick as a major contributor for Guitar World magazine some of us know his deeper history and it sucks clearly we didn't miss much there but what we did walk into was a swedish band called meldrum who were in the middle of the single worst cover of walk i had ever heard in my life to this day on top of the hard cover guitarist michelle meldrum norm who has since passed away looked like a fucking Zack clone from the hair to the appearance. She had the fucking red monkey uh, leather cuffs that Zach was wearing at the time to even her tendency to rest the guitar on her knee, even if she wasn't doing so to solo like Zack did. Although I can imagine the Pantera stuff and her looking like Zack was most likely why Zack took Meldrum on the road, kind of like why he took Nick Bocot on the road to just jerk off to Pantera's to everybody. And that's no disrespect to Dimebag Daryl or Pantera, but it was obvious from the get go. I knew before I went in there that it was going to be a big Dimebag Daryl tribute this night. More to come on that. After Meldrum finally fucked off, the covers that were protecting Black Label's backline had been removed. Craig Noonanmacher had a beautiful pearl double bass kit with the Mafia artwork on the bass drum skins. I had seen videos and pictures of this huge wall of marshals with no signs of bass amps in sight. But this time, the entire left side contained all Ashdown bass amps. And I saw this when I saw Black Label months early in OzFest. This was a first for me. Uh, And for a lot of people, and this might have been just because of the fact that it was James Lomenzo who was playing bass, not, you know, Rob Torrio or anybody else. They actually had a legitimate bass player this time for the first time. Um, Black Label was always a revolving door of bass players. And the two people you always saw uh, credited as recording the instruments was whoever the drummer was and Zach, as far as Black Label records were concerned. um, Hangover Music Volume 6 was the first time that he had anybody other than himself playing bass. No, that's not true. Robert Trio played bass on Life, Birth, Birth, Blood, Doom on 1919 Eternal. And Mafia was the first time that James Lomenzo played bass on an entire Black Label record. That was another important thing with Mafia, because uh, for the for once Black Label felt like a, you know, consistent or felt like a band, not just Zach and a drummer with lackeys playing with him on stage. Um, What else? I just lost track of what I was going to say. OK, before the lights went down to begin the set. There was a couple standing in front of me, but not in my way, as we found a good spot on the, in the on the left side, up by the balcony area, behind uh, one of the bars. So, there's a cute blonde girl in this couple, and she's bending over. She's bending over backwards while in this guy's arms, her hair hanging down, kind of romantically. As she looks directly at me and sensually signals for me with her index finger to come to her. It's like, ooh, okay. She gently cups my ear and she's still bent backwards in her boyfriend's arms as she kind of sensually goes to whisper in my ear or talk in my ear. And I'm immediately going to, I immediately wondered if she was going to tell me that the guy wasn't her boyfriend and then invite me to fuck her that night or some shit like that or at least ask me my name and take it from there. But no, she was just being polite and wanted to know if the two of them were blocking my view, to which I told them they weren't. You tease. You big fucking tease. Fuck you too, bitch. Fuck you too. The lights finally died down. However, instead of the usual air raid siren that the band were known for, the main theme to The Godfather played through the PA. Smoke covering the stage. Then you heard the air raid siren after a minute of silence. New Jersey is where Zach grew up, so the crowd was ballistic. The band, Craig Nunemacher, James Lomenzo, and future registered sex offender and all-around piece of shit, Nick Catanese, would walk on stage and strum a huge A chord. Um, it's actually G because the guitars were down to the whole step, but it's it's A. Before Zach fucking Wild went whammy dive heavy, no whammy dive happy, excuse me, on his Carl Sandoval polka dot uh, V replica, seamlessly, violently transitioning into a blazing solo that lasted a few minutes before breaking into stoned and drunk. Uh, before I go on. The Carl Sandoval guitar. The re- it's a replica of the polka dot flying V that Randy Rhodes was famous for. That black polka dot V, black with the white polka dots with the bow tie inlays. That's what Z- that's what Randy used. Zach had two of those, one in uh, black and white like Randy, and then he had this one, which was white with black polka dots. This is the guitar he used that night. He uses less Pauls eventually, but he had this. So let's go over the set list. Um, stoned and Drunk, like I said. Destruction Overdrive, Been a Long Time, Funeral Bell, Suffering Overdue, In This River, Suicide Messiah, Demise of Sanity, Spread Your Wings, uh, A Guitar Solo Spot, Spoke in the Wheel, Fire It Up, Stillborn and Genocide Junkies. So, let's talk about the pros and the cons of this. The pros. Upon watching Black Label's Bruised Booze and Broken Bone DVD, I noticed that you couldn't really hear Rob Turillo's bass, if at all. Minus, uh, great, um, shit. What's the fucking song he played? Not Stoned and Drunk. Fuck, I don't remember now. It's the closing track to 1919. Hang on one sec. And the song was, oh, it's, it was Berserkers. Duh, it was Berserkers. So, um, because that song starts with the bass, the bass opens up that track. It makes sense. But on this night, James Lomenzo's bass was as clear as Zach and pedophile, I mean, uh, Nick's guitars. The band had performed a lot of tracks off of the new album, along with The Blessed Hell Ride, which I think needed to be done. Black Label never toured for The Blessed Hell Ride because Zach chose that year instead to tour with Ozzy on Ozfest. And 20 years later, I still think that was a real stupid mistake. That record could have been the breakout record, and it kind of was, but it didn't get the attention it deserved because Zach chose to tour with Ozzy instead, like a moron. To introduce In This River, speaking of which, Zach showed everyone his guitar of choice for the song. It was a prototype Dean Razorback that was designed by Dimebag Daryl himself and made with some of Zach's trademarks, custom made including the exact EMG pickups he has used since time immemorial, along with the classic bullseye design as the finish. Uh, In trying to explain the significance of the guitar, which was that Dime had a present for him and it showed up at Zach's house the day after Dime was murdered, that's fucked up, Zach got frustrated and yelled out in his oddly New York City-like accent, Yo, shut the fuck up! I'm trying to tell a story before telling the crowd that not only would he never get over dimes murder but that in this river would never leave the set list uh two things number one i say new york city-like accent even though he's from new jersey because that is a new york city-like accent anyone who sounds like a new yorker who lives in jersey it's not a new jersey accent Those guidos are not from New Jersey. They are from New York City. Especially if you're in Central and especially North Jersey. North Jersey is literally the shadow of New York City. I live in New York. I live in North Jersey, so I fucking know. Okay? Number two. Him saying that In This River was never going to leave the set list, I call bullshit. Why? I saw Black Label Society... In 2011, in the Gramercy Theater in Manhattan, and I was waiting for In This River all night. He got behind the piano. He never played In This River. I waited for it. Explain that one, Zach. What was also a welcome surprise was that while I was waiting for a blistering, ear splitting solo section from Zach in the middle of the set, in its place was Zach sitting on his speaker cabinets with a uh classical uh, classical acoustic guitar or classical guitar it was electric uh it was plugged into a roland uh jc120 chorus app uh he began playing on that while the remaining bls members along with the members of meldrum went on stage and played poker i can't make that up interspersed in the solo set were pieces of Diary of a Madman and Zach's own Aussie masterpiece, Mama, I'm Coming Home, which prompted the entire building to sing along while he played. After that was done, he finished this segment with Spoke in the Wheel, which began with just Zach, but ended with the entire band rejoining Zach on stage so Zach could sell his ass off some more. But would you believe me if I told you that this is what I found to be the biggest con of the evening? Oh, yeah. I never thought I'd ever say it. Um, Okay. Zach's playing, as usual, loud, violent, precision like a motherfucker. Muscular, aggressive, intense, you name it, that's Zach's style. But Zach did not need to perform long-ass extended solos in between songs and even during songs. These were long-form jams that was just went on and on. We're not talking Almond Brothers-type shit here, guys and girls. This is where it got redundant. Seriously. I get that maybe Zach might have seen it as his nightly tribute to his best friend as it was increasingly, visibly taking its toll on him. I'm not just talking the show as the as time went on, as the next four years went on. And believe me, girls, the drinking didn't help one bit, because that got worse during uh, during the next few years as well. But if you're not going to change up your style even just a little during these solos, doing the exact same thing over and over, it's going to get boring. There's a reason I don't like Ingve Momstein. He's talented, but no. Like if you've heard Rising Force, you've heard everything you need to hear from the son of a bi- from the stupid son of a bitch. Fuck Ingvae Momstein. The only other con, while not a big deal at all, is that I would have loved to have heard more tracks from other albums. I understand that the Blessed Hellride and Mafia were his two most popular releases at the point at that point in time. Um, Mafia, in fact, would go on to sell two hundred and fifty thousand copies, most likely on the heels of In This River, but it's his most successful record to date but the other records have some amazing tracks that should have been revisited. He eventually would revisit them just not on this night, but still he had more than two records, three, whatever. If I recall, after we all left, we were waiting for Mike to see if he was able to give his hand-built guitar to Zach after the show. I don't believe he was successful, but hey, Chad, If you're reading this, since you did find my blog uh, three-plus years ago, um, feel free to lend me your insight if you want, if you remember anything about that night, and let me know if he was successful or not in handing Zach his guitar. Also, let me know if I'm right about Mike being his name. Thank you. But what I do remember is that on the way home, Mike reminisced about the night in 2002 when Black Label played the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. Comparing the two shows, Asbury Park and This Night, he confirmed what I already knew, which was that Asbury Park in 2002 was significantly more chaotic. And he added that he saw multiple cars being pulled over by the police for drunk driving before any of those people could even leave the immediate area. <sighs> That's when Zach was throwing beer to the audiences. Uh, here's a brief update before I get the fuck out of here. Uh, if you've been watching me on Instagram or following me on Instagram, and I can give two fucks if you do, trust me. You might have seen stories and posts that indicate that I'm finally making it happen. I'm, doing, I'm making a Lift With Hatred style t-shirts. After years of just thinking about it, I'm finally putting together my own line of weightlifting meets extreme metal-themed shirts for your disgust. I received a test copy just yesterday and realized immediately that it needs to be adjusted. Uh, I'm not going to do it right away, but stay tuned for more information as this story progresses. Or don't, go fuck your mother and die. I said that.